When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is the true story of a mild-mannered professor Fred was an intellectual. He's this very quiet, methodical college professor. His beautiful, restless wife. Piper was looking for excitement. She was bored with Fred. She was looking for a bigger life. And her overprotective older sister. Tina would have done anything to help her sister. It's a tale of bottomless needs that can only be filled by the most extreme actions. He's married, she's married, the sex is forbidden, and it's very, very hot. And it will all end in a cold, calculated plot to murder. Beware, extreme passion can lead to shocking consequences. It's 1994 in the West End of Richmond, Virginia. An upscale community where it's easy to imagine people leading perfect lives. The west end of Richmond is a very conservative area. There are a lot of country clubs, a lot of people who play tennis, a lot of people who send their kids to private schools. Those people uh, are old Richmond, a very conservative upper middle class uh, community. That summer, Piper Roundtree and her husband, Fred Jablin, relocate with their children from Austin, Texas, into one of the deluxe West End homes. The family adjusts well to their new life in Virginia. Fred is a successful university professor, and Piper, a former lawyer, is now an active stay-at-home mom. Piper was very pretty. She had this uh, kind of pixie look about her, kind of a wayfish look. Piper had a cute figure and showed it off. She didn't look like the typical mother. Fred was a slight, 
man, kind of a smaller build, balding, glasses, looked like a professor. He was not concerned with his dress or his presentation. There was nothing showy about him at all. And appearance isn't the only striking difference between the married couple. Fred is eight years Piper's senior. They first met in 1980 at the University of Texas when Fred was a professor and Piper a student. From the beginning, they appeared an unlikely couple. Fred and Piper were opposites in terms of their age, in terms of their looks. One of Fred's colleagues remarked that she was way too attractive for him. Fred was this very quiet, methodical college professor. Piper was more the fun-loving person. She was the one who would uh, come up with wild things for them to do and places to go. But after nearly 15 years of marriage, Piper wants new excitement in her life. Soon after settling in, the family joins a private country club where Piper is eager to have some of the fun that she's not getting at home. She was bored with Fred. She was looking for a bigger life. Piper aspired to be a country club wife. She wanted the glamour of the country club and the social life. She doesn't have a career, nothing to fill her days, so the country club really becomes the focus of why she gets up in the morning. As Piper begins to spend all of her free time at the club, it quickly becomes apparent that she's not quite like the other wives. Piper is a little bit too much Texas for Virginia. She started showing up at the club in a thong swimsuit. Well, this is buttoned down uh, Richmond, Virginia, and they were not amused. Piper wasn't a typical soccer mom. She wanted attention. She wanted to build up herself as the prettiest wife. She liked to show off. Soon, rumors begin circulating that Piper's kind of excitement goes beyond the usual country club sports. Piper seemed to just be kind of the wild thing at the tennis courts. She hung out with the pros. Piper was disappearing from the tennis club in the afternoon, and she was sometimes seen with a young tennis pro. So there were quite a few rumors in the neighborhood that perhaps she was having an affair. If the country club gossip is true, Piper has finally found an erotic distraction that could keep her mind off of her stale home life. This is really the sort of stuff of, of novels. The bored wife who joins the country club and then starts an affair with the tennis pro. Steamy sex back in the room where they store the tennis rackets and all of the balls. But despite whatever male attention she's getting, Piper is still feeling restless and unsatisfied in Virginia. She decides to take a trip down south to visit her family. Piper grew up one of five siblings in a tight-knit family in Texas. Piper's soulmate, confidant, and best friend has always been her older sister, Tina. Tina Roundtree is a little bit taller than Piper, very, very blonde, much more made up than Piper, just more high maintenance looking. Her sister was this big buxom blonde who was tough and smart and very secure. Piper often said that her older sister, Tina, raised her, that she was more of a mother than her own mother was. 
When Piper goes back to Texas, she always stays with Tina, tells Tina everything, and interestingly enough, sleeps in Tina's bed, like they're teenagers at a slumber party, staying up all night long telling each other their secrets. Piper confides in her sister that she misses her old life in Texas and that her marriage with Fred is not as exciting as it used to be. Piper started crying, just sobbing inconsolably, saying that uh, she regretted her decision that, to be with Fred, saying that there were so many men out there so much better than he was, and why was she with him? Tina encourages Piper to leave Fred and move back with the kids to Texas. Tina was never a fan of Fred's, and from the beginning probably thought that they were a mismatch. Tina not only was not a fan of Fred's, but she was hostile toward Fred. Tina's always blamed Fred for taking her little sister away from her to that godforsaken land of Virginia. Why would anyone want to leave Texas? When Piper returns to Virginia, Fred suspects that she is unhappy living in their new state. He promises Piper that if she really can't stand Virginia, he would consider looking for a new job and moving back to Texas. Fred tried really hard to keep the marriage on an even keel. The more turmoil Piper built into their lives, the more Fred attempted to control things to be able to keep it from falling apart. But little does Fred know, Piper is already planning to leave the marriage. She begins secretly using their credit cards to build a nest egg for herself. She'd been getting all these credit card offers in the mail, and she had been taking out the cards and running them up. And without its knowledge, Piper would get another credit card, max it out. And over a very short period of time, she took out $9,000 in cash advances against those cards, and she bought up another $10,000 worth of merchandise. It speaks of a person who's getting ready to leave a marriage. So as long as she was hooked onto somebody who had a good salary, she was getting all those things done she would need when she didn't have access to that money anymore. Piper is becoming reckless in more and more shocking ways. Her obvious courting of other men's attention has left Fred shamed. And now her irresponsible spending has threatened the well-being of their family. But soon, his wife's extreme behavior will drive Fred past his own careful limits with disastrous results. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. It's the summer of 1999 in the old money world of Richmond, Virginia. And Piper Roundtree and Fred Jablin's marriage is in serious trouble. Piper's become more and more restless with her significantly older husband. She started looking for any kind of escape or distraction, including rumored long private afternoons with her country club's tennis pro and trips out of state. In Texas, Piper had all of her friends and family, but in Virginia, She's really a stranger in a strange land, a fish out of water. She's really not mixing in with the other Virginia housewives. Piper was looking for excitement. She was looking to take care of some of her insecurities by building herself up, building her ego up. And I think if men were attracted to her, it made her feel good. Piper has also been keeping another secret from her husband. For the past few years, she's had control of the family finances. But when it comes time for Fred to buy a new car and a credit check is run, he's in for quite a shock. The salesman informs Fred that he can't sell him the car because Fred's credit is ruined. He discovers Piper's run wild with the credit cards. There existed something in the neighborhood of $60,000 in consumer debt. He was just beside himself. He was aghast. This is just so out of character for him. It's, it's not something that he would have anticipated having to deal with. Fred quickly takes over managing the family's money and puts Piper on a tight financial leash. He then tells his wife that to pay off her debt, she has to go back to work as a lawyer. As Fred takes stock of the state of their marriage and their finances, he begins to look at Piper with a whole new awareness. This is not a woman who's invested in the marriage or the family. Fred said, hey, look, we need more money. You're a lawyer. You have a ticket to make some money. Get a job and, and do it. 
But to practice law in Virginia, Piper must first pass the state bar exam. She agrees to take review classes, but when it comes time to study, her attention is elsewhere. At the bar review course, instead of studying, she doodled. Uh, she fancied herself an artist and sketched other people in the room. She told the other students in the class that she'd been a lawyer before, and she didn't see this as any big deal. She thought, in her narcissistic way, that she didn't have to study. She was going to be able to pass the bar on a whiff and a prayer. When Piper fails the bar exam, Fred is extremely frustrated. He begins to think that Piper never intended to go back to work at all. I think she was more focused on social life. She wanted to be, I think, taken care of at that point, and work didn't fit in with that plan. She really just wants to be that country club housewife who plays around with men. Without the credit cards, Piper has to seek new ways to maintain her extravagant lifestyle. But this time, she's not after a tennis pro. Piper needs a new man with money. She sets her sights on her daughter's eye doctor. Piper is really desperate now. She needs somebody who can not just distract her and fulfill the vain side of her, but also have the money to give her what she wants. Piper's looking for someone to replace Fred. Piper knows exactly how to get male attention. And when she turns on her charms, the eye doctor can't help but take the bait. Piper was very forward. She was very sensual, very provocative. Piper is different than the other wives and, and mothers who come into his practice. She's very attractive. She still has that outgoing, loud Texas personality. The doctor was married and living with his wife in their home. He'd been married a while. I think he was bored. He was looking to take up a relationship with this beautiful, very smart and creative lady. Ironically, Piper's new love interest looks very similar to her husband, Fred, whom she's grown so dissatisfied with. He was kind of small and slender, not attractive particularly, not at all the gentleman you would think Piper would look for next. Maybe she was just attracted to the professor type. Piper and the doctor begin an illicit, erotic affair. It's the most fun Piper's had in Virginia since her alleged tryst with a tennis pro. What the eye doctor provides to Piper is a fantasy world in which all of her problems are solved. She can be the loud, boisterous, seductive woman that she really is by nature. For him, a really hot woman is seducing him. The sex between people who are fulfilling a need in each other can be very, very hot. Over the next few months, Piper and her new lover become even more brazen in their behavior. They do nothing to hide their affection in public and even take Piper's kids away with them on romantic trips. The whole affair was open, so the children met him, other people knew about it. They never kept it under wraps. She started to have a life with this new partner and planned to make her children a part of that. When people enter this phase of they just don't care, who knows about their affair, uh, what they're almost saying is, I don't care if my spouse knows about the affair. They live in complete denial of that moment where the crash happens. The spouse will find out. And it doesn't take long for Fred to realize that his wife has been cheating on him. But when he finds out his children have been exposed to this strange man, 
Fred is deeply outraged. He tells Piper that he not only plans to file for divorce, he wants full custody of their kids. Up until the point that Fred learned about the affair with the doctor, he was still fighting to try to hold the marriage together. Once he found out that they had involved the children, Fred was done. He wanted the marriage over. This looks like a plan to actually replace him with a man who looks just like him and take his children away from him. And he begins to really wonder what Piper is capable of. But Fred isn't the only one angry about the affair. When the eye doctor's wife finds out, she's furious and forces her husband to end his relationship with Piper. The eye doctor's wife was as if not more upset than was Fred and acted out in public settings because of Piper's relationship with her husband. Although the divorce goes through, Piper's affair with the eye doctor cools off. But Piper and Fred's custody battle over the children lasts a grueling eight months. During the entire time, Piper, in her overly confident way, never imagines she could lose. Piper described herself as the Martha Stewart of motherhood. But she believed that she was an exceptional mother. I think she fashioned herself sort of after her mother, who was a stay-at-home mom, who had dinner ready for the family every night. She was sure that she was a mother and the mother was going to win this case. But in July 2002, Fred is granted full custody of the couple's three children. It was a brutal battle that they fought very hard for custody. If you look at the situation, look at who's able to financially provide, who was emotionally providing, who was there for the kids versus uh, who was not doing all those things, it's easy to see why a judge gave Fred Jablin custody. The custody hearings didn't go well for Piper. Some of the neighbors that she called in that she thought were going to bolster her stand, saying that she should have sole custody, described her as basically a bad mother, someone who was unreliable and didn't take good care of her children. In the end, the judge decided that Fred was the more fit parent. Piper is devastated by the turn of events. She was shocked. She felt very empty and without an identity when she no longer had her children. Piper calls her sister Tina to share the bad news. Tina is also brokenhearted, but she tells Piper that they will come up with a plan to somehow get the children back. Tina would have done anything to help her sister. They were so abnormally close that Tina actually felt Piper's pain. A picture of Piper and Tina talking about Fred constantly, just bashing Fred, filled with hate for Fred. With limited access to her children in Virginia, Piper decides to move back to her home state. The only thing she could think to do at that point was to go back to her family in Texas. She got out of here as fast as she could leave. But it's only the beginning of the end. What no one knows is that this contentious divorce has sown the seeds of anger, malice, and betrayal that will end in a complicated web of mistaken identity, violence, and murder. It's now 2004, two years since Piper and Fred's marriage ended 
after Fred found out Piper was having an affair with a local eye doctor and had introduced him to their children. Despite an ugly divorce and custody battle in which Fred got to keep the three children, it appears that both Piper and Fred have managed to move on with their lives. No matter how bitter the divorce or the custody battle, life goes on. Piper had no choice but to go back to Texas without her children. She lives with her sister, Tina, her best friend and confidant. She even starts dating men again. When Piper returned to Houston, she made friends quickly. She had her Texas law license, and she started practicing again. Back in Virginia, Fred's life has returned to normal, too. He has the three children that he adores. He's getting back on track financially, and he's returned to a routine. Things are good. As part of the custody agreement, Piper pays Fred child support and still has visitation rights. In the fall of 2004, Piper flies up to Virginia for a few days to take her children on a camping trip. In early October of 04, uh, Piper has the kids for a long weekend and she takes them on a camp out. It's an idyllic time. She's out in nature with her kids, nobody else around. You're not at home. There's no responsibilities. You just have a good time. She really wants to be a family unit with her kids, hiking, fishing, and really an idyllic sort of picture of how good a mother she is. But little does anyone know that this is the calm before the storm. Just a few weeks after the camping trip, on the day before Halloween, a shocking act of violence tears their lives apart forever. October 30th, 2004, 6.40 a.m. The police get a call from Fred Jablin's neighbor in the West End of Richmond, Virginia. There were shots heard in the neighborhood. The guy had been in the service and recognized gunshots. And what he saw was a figure running like a jogger from the house next door. When officers arrive, they survey the area in the dark but nothing seems to be out of place. Then, an hour later, neighbors make a gruesome discovery. When the sun was coming up, neighbors were walking their dog and saw a body in the driveway. They walked up and looked, and there they found Fred Jablin laid out on, on the cement in the driveway. He'd been murdered. Police return to the residence and begin to process the horrific crime scene. Fred was found lying down on his back, face up, in his driveway. He had no signs of robbery, no sign of a struggle, just a dead body uh, on his own basketball court. The police entered the house, and the chilling thing is they found the kids asleep. Kids could well have woken up and said, where's dad, and look outside and see him, you know, just feet away from the, the back door. He was totally not suspecting anyone to be out there. He just simply went out to get his newspaper. It looked like the only motive was murder. Fifty-two-year-old Fred Jablin is declared dead at the scene. As homicide detectives begin the investigation, they notice that one of three bullets fired by the killer has penetrated Fred's lower back most likely hitting vital organs. But other than a single spent 38 slug found near his body, they have no clues and no leads. 
the upper middle class neighborhood is shocked. In the West End of Richmond, this is a very unusual crime. A man going outside to get his morning paper shot in his driveway with no apparent motive? It was a front page story for sure. Fred Jablon was a very popular professor at the University of Richmond. By all accounts, he was very well liked and did not have any enemies. But when detectives begin asking neighbors who would want to kill Fred, they hear one name over and over again, Fred's ex-wife, Piper Roundtree. There's a feeling that Piper could still be bitter about losing custody of her children. What's more, detectives soon find out that at the time of Fred's death, Piper owed him thousands of dollars in back child support. In the spring of 2003, she filed for bankruptcy in order to get out from under having to pay Fred child support. She claimed to have around $300,000 in debt at that point. Part of the motivation uh, for her wanting to kill him was no more money due, she would be able to inherit whatever funds he had, and the big thing was she would be back with her kids. But police also find out that Piper stirred strong passions in other men while married to Fred, and sexual jealousy can be a slow burn. Fred had a reputation of being a very stable, predictable, likable guy. He had no enemies. So who could want Fred dead? Well, think of all of the men that Piper was rumored to have affairs with. Could any of them have a remaining beef with Fred, the ex-husband of the woman they liked? But no one has been keeping track of Piper's former lovers. It's been years, and the affairs are long over. Piper herself is now living a thousand miles away in Texas. Still, a team of investigators flies down to Houston to question Piper on her whereabouts the morning of the murder. During the interview, Piper insists that she couldn't have committed the crime. The night before Fred was killed, she explains that she was at a local bar in Houston. Piper had an alibi. She said that she had witnesses who could place her in Texas. Piper also remembers that she spoke with her children in Virginia that evening. Piper had spoken with her son the night before, and he could identify her voice as the person using the cell phone. The number came up on his phone as his mother's phone. But when detectives check Piper's cell phone records, a different story emerges. Piper may have been in Texas the night before Fred was killed, but according to the phone company, her phone was in Virginia the morning of the murder. A big, big red flag went up when they started getting reports back from the cell phone company that an early call had been made that morning not far from the house where Fred was murdered. But that's not all. The records also show that after Fred was killed, Piper's cell phone traveled from the murder scene in Richmond to Norfolk, Virginia, to Baltimore, Maryland, and finally to Houston, Texas, hours later. Investigators call airlines and discover that there was, in fact, a flight from Norfolk, Virginia to Houston, Texas, with a stop in Baltimore. But when the detectives scour passenger manifests looking for a Piper Roundtree, what they discover instead astounds them. There was no flight in Piper's name. However, there was a passenger listed as a Tina Roundtree. 
It came out fairly quickly in the investigation that Tina was Piper's sister. Airline records show the last name of a person who is very familiar by now to the police, but it's hardly the first name they were expecting to find. Could family loyalty cross all bounds of morality and drive one sister to actually kill for the other? In the early morning hours of October 30th, 2004, Fred Jablin is gunned down while picking up his daily newspaper in an upper middle class suburb of Richmond, Virginia. At first, investigators suspect that Fred's ex-wife, Piper Roundtree, pulled the trigger. Two years earlier, after Fred caught Piper having an affair, they divorced and he got full custody of their children. Piper never got over it. Piper really wanted her children, and she really resented that Fred was the one who was awarded custody. We have a father getting custody of her children. The evidence we had was that she was devastated. The obvious solution was to kill Fred. Detectives look into the possibility that Piper flew from her home in Texas to Virginia to commit the crime. But when they check airline records, they do come across a passenger with a last name, Roundtree. But shockingly, it's not Piper, it's her sister, Tina. We had information that Tina Roundtree was the name on the flight. There was a possibility that Tina had gotten on that flight and that Tina had come up and that Tina was involved in the murder, actually committed the murder, possibly. But what motive could possibly be strong enough for Tina Roundtree to want her ex-brother-in-law dead? As police look into the possible connections between the two, they discover that when Fred and Piper were going through the custody battle for the kids, Tina wrote a scathing 42-page profile about Fred. There was a document that Tina had put together that looked like a psychological profile of Fred. Tina was not a psychologist. She wasn't a psychiatrist. She's a nurse practitioner. The document made Fred look like a horrible person, like a monster. It made him look like he was the instigator of the marital problems, that he was a bad father, that he was a horrible husband. It was just a hate letter. In March of 2002, after a judge granted Fred physical custody of the children, Piper emailed her sister's document to not only Fred's friends, but work colleagues at the University of Richmond as he was being considered for a prestigious job as a dean. Fred was deeply upset and wounded. In his view, it was too late. The damage had been done. Fred withdrew from consideration as the permanent dean at the School of Leadership. I don't know that I ever saw Fred in tears, but if ever I did, it was then. Investigators questioned Tina about her whereabouts the day of the murder. But they soon find out that Tina, a nurse practitioner, has an alibi. Tina's alibi was strong because she was actually in Texas. Some employees of hers could actually put her in her place of business. Tina was at her clinic in Houston seeing patients that morning. While Tina appears to have a foolproof alibi, Piper's story is starting to seem tenuous. 
The night before Fred was killed in Virginia, Piper claimed she was in Texas when she placed a call to her kids and then went out for a drink at a neighborhood bar alone. But when detectives interview locals at the bar, no one remembers seeing Piper that night. During the course of investigating the murder, they actually went to the bar right down the street from her home where she's living and interviewed those people. And they said, no, no, we didn't remember that she was there. A detective then brings a photo of Piper to the Houston airport. He asks the ticket agent if she remembers a passenger who looked like the woman in the picture checking in two days before the murder. The agent says a woman resembling the photo with the name Tina Roundtree did check in with a very unusual piece of luggage. She remembered that she was well-dressed, a nice-looking lady, and she had a gun. Ticket agents check in hundreds of people every single day, but the most important thing that made her memorable was that she checked in a gun. How many women check in a gun on a flight? The agent also remembers something else about the passenger. Although her face resembles Piper's photo, the woman who checked in had different hair color. The woman the ticket agent remembered was definitely a blonde, but the woman in the photo, even though she looked very similar, was definitely a brunette. There's obviously an element of whodunit here. They have a blonde woman named Tina flying to Virginia. Piper has very dark brown hair. There's, there's no mistaking. Could the woman who flew from Houston to Virginia really be Piper? Detectives are intrigued with what appears to be a masquerade. Then one of Piper's friends informs them that not too long before Fred was killed, Piper asked him to take her to a gun range near Houston where she practiced shooting a 38 revolver. It's the same caliber gun the woman checked in at the airport and the same type of weapon used to kill Fred. At least a week before the murder, Piper went out to a shooting range to fire the type of gun that was used to kill Fred. But that's not all. Around a week before the murder, a credit card receipt reveals that Piper made a very peculiar purchase. In the middle of October, Piper bought two wigs on the internet. She bought a blonde one and a red one. The description of the wig that she had purchased matched the description of the female who had traveled to Virginia. Investigators have pieced together a truly bizarre and damning series of actions by Piper. From going to shooting practice, to buying a wig, to traveling in disguise with a gun. But what really happened in the pre-dawn hours leading up to the cold-blooded murder of Fred Jablin? Truth will be shocking. Fifty-two-year-old Fred Jablin has been shot and killed in his own driveway. Investigators now suspect that his ex-wife, Piper, pulled the trigger, pretending to be her sister. They believe that a week before the murder, Piper disguised herself by wearing a blonde wig to look like Tina, checked a 38 revolver in at the airport, and flew from Texas to Virginia to murder her ex-husband. The possible motive? After Fred discovered that Piper was having an affair, they divorced and Fred got full custody of the kids. Piper wanted them back. Killing Fred 
would have solved all of her problems. She would get the children back. She would get out from underneath the child support she'd been ordered to pay. She would also get the house in Richmond and all of Fred's savings and his retirement account. But before arresting Piper for the murder of her ex-husband, investigators need more evidence placing her in the vicinity of the murder scene once she got off the flight from Houston and made her way to Richmond. Using cell phone and bank records linked to Piper, detectives trace what they believe to be Piper's path from the time she landed in Virginia to the day of Fred's murder. She flew into Norfolk uh, that Thursday night, went to a car rental place right by the airport and rented a car. Two of the witnesses identified her both uh, picking the car up and dropping it off. We had witnesses who either identified her voice on the phone when she was in Richmond or on her travels to Richmond. So there's 16 people that said she did it, she did it, she did it. It's really surprising that some of these people were able to identify her. It's the fact that she was a very pretty woman. She had a face that people remembered. Investigators believe they now have enough circumstantial evidence to support their case. On November 8, 2004, Piper Roundtree is arrested and charged with a first-degree murder of Fred Jablin. Piper planned this crime for months. She bought multiple wigs. She went to a firing range in Texas. She disguised herself when she traveled. She essentially was pretending to be Tina. She ordered a plane ticket in Tina's name. She arrived at the airport in a blonde wig. The night before the murder, Piper, pretending to be in Texas, calls her son from a hotel just down the street from their house in the west end of Richmond. Then, in the pre-dawn hours of October 30th, 2004, Piper drives to her old home and lays in wait for Fred while their children are asleep upstairs. On the morning of October 30th, Fred Jablin got up, put his coffee on, walked out the back door to the house, like he did every morning to get that newspaper. She knew he'd be coming out. He was just a creature of habit. That's who Fred was. And she was directly in line to rush out at him and point and shoot the gun. Fred's routine every single morning would literally be the death of him. On February 22, 2005, the Piper Roundtree case goes to trial. Prosecution is out to prove that Piper killed her ex-husband to reclaim custody of her children, while the defense tries to make it look like Tina could have done it. In the courtroom, the defense strategy was to form some reasonable doubt, to say that it could have been Tina on that plane. Tina could have been the one who murdered Fred. The defense didn't specifically say it wasn't Piper, it was Tina who did it, but they were clearly trying to create that uh, doubt in jurors' mind that it was Tina instead of Piper. But in the end, Piper becomes her worst enemy when she takes the stand in her own defense. Piper did absolutely horribly on cross-examination. The lead attorney in the case just absolutely tore her up. He went over every fact that we had and she said, I can't answer that. I have no answer for that. It was so bad, about two-thirds of the way through, I was tugging at him, saying, let's stop it, you're killing her. 
Her story just melted like ice cream in the sunshine. She couldn't really account for where she was for long stretches of time other than to say, yes, I was in Texas. She couldn't explain why her cell phone was here making calls in Richmond. As for Tina, she's not even present at the trial. Prosecutors never had any specific proof that she was involved in or had any knowledge of the murder of Fred Jablin. Tina was never, in our eyes, a suspect. Tina was a smokescreen put out by Piper. We had no information that Tina knew Piper was traveling to Virginia, that uh, when she borrowed Tina's ID, she, Tina knew what she was up to. The biggest mystery is when Piper impersonated her sister Tina, used her name on the plane ticket, made herself look like her sister Tina. Did Tina know? Had she discussed it with Tina? Even though Piper was willing to throw Tina under the bus and make her look like a suspect, she never said a word. She refused to make any statements. And again, this falls perfectly into Piper's plan. On February 26, 2005, after a five-day trial, the jury deliberates for just one hour before finding Piper guilty of first-degree murder. Piper's reaction to the verdict is shock and disbelief. She believed that she was untouchable. She thought that she was much smarter than she was. What made Piper such a dangerous person is that she didn't care what others thought. And I think that ultimately, and in the final days of Fred's life, that's what made her so dangerous. She was fearless. I see Piper as unstable, as disturbed, very self-centered, to the point where she was willing to take away the father of her own children. She was ruthless. She was willing to do anything to get the children back. I believe it was pure vengeance that she was simply striking back at him for taking the children from her. The thing of it is that she didn't care about her kids, ultimately, because she killed him knowing that the kids could well wake up and be the ones to find him. She was very self-centered, very narcissistic about what she did and why she did it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.